You're listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bottom Line podcast. Today, we are talking pain management for cancer patients with Dr. Tim Hucker, a pain specialist with the Northern Beaches Hospital, Director of Northern Beaches Hospital in pain management. Dr. Hucker's main areas of interest are in prevention of chronic pain and interventional management of pain. Tim believes a patient-centred and personalised pain management plan allows patients to have the best quality of life they can. Dr. Tim Hucker, we are extremely grateful to have you on the Bottom Line podcast today, sharing your insights. Welcome. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Tim, firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and what actually a pain specialist does? Yeah, sure. A pain specialist is, well, they can come from many backgrounds for a start. So the usual pathway into being a pain specialist is an anaesthetist. And that's kind of how it started as a specialty with the sort of natural flow from acute pain management in the hospital by an anaesthetist surgery into sort of a specialty of its own accord, which started about sort of 20 years or so ago, probably more. Nowadays, we come from many different backgrounds. So rehab specialists, there's some fabulous radiation oncologists, for instance, who've done pain training. And it's the it's basically a specialty training on top of your normal specialty um, of a couple of years sort of extra on top of, as I say, normal specialty training. My background is anaesthetics. I trained in the UK and then moved to Australia and I spent some time as a palliative care fellow as well, working with a palliative care team in the UK. Um, moved to Melbourne and I ran the cancer pain service at Peter Mac for about five years and was a specialist there for about 10 years before moving up to sunny Sydney. Why is pain management important then in the cancer journey, Tim? Well, it's it's vital sort of throughout the journey, really, Stephanie. The um, pain is often a, a presenting complaint for someone who develops bowel cancer. So there's an important sort of recognition component. But as soon as you sort of start treatment for bowel cancer, that opens up the possibility of Uh, difficult pain management because all of the treatments can be associated with uh, pain of of one kind or another. So for instance, if you're having surgery, you have the acute pain of surgery or surgical intervention. If you require chemotherapy, there's some of the nerve pains associated with chemotherapy and, you know, and radiotherapy too. And more and more over the last 20 years, the research has looked into optimal outcome management And optimal outcomes are based on so many different domains. And if you, for instance, have uh, can prehabilitate someone for surgery, so you get them comfortable from from a pain management point of view, they can get more fitness done. They can then enter their surgery in the optimal sort of physical condition, because surgery is like a you know an enormous stress on the body. So if you're pain managed, then fit then entering surgery in your best physical condition, that will have a knock-on effect on outcome. So there are a lot of sort of outcome components to pain management. There's also just, it's just the right thing to do, isn't it? You know, people need to be comfortable. Mm. In America, there's more kind of studies looking at how 
people with better pain management make better treatment decisions. You know, the someone who is a bit at the end of their tether, they've had too much pain, they're too uncomfortable, may not look to a treatment decision because, you know, I've had enough, had enough for you doctors, had enough for treatments, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, if we can ensure that people are comfortable throughout, they'll make good treatment decisions um, with their oncology team. More and more these days that, you know, the landscape of cancer is changing to a chronic disease and a chronic disease needs to be managed differently from a pain point of view than the old fashioned situation of, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, where it was a very sort of binary problem cancer, you know, survive or not survive. And now many people live for many years, even with a cancer that's not necessarily curable. And the final part of the journey, the sort of survivorship journey, it's really important that people are given the best chance to have the best quality of life after a really challenging time, really distressing time in their lives, you know, that we can mop up these symptoms like residual pain and get people functioning, doing what they want to and achieving what they want, you know, and back being sort of family members and workers and taxpayers, you know, all these sort of important things that that we all do as part of society. It's about living life too, isn't it, I suppose? You're helping people live their best life. Yep. I was 10 years ago since I had my um, bowel cancer and I, a pain management plan was not even part of that. Yep. So I'm interested, I suppose, what are some of the treatments for bowel cancer patients? Basically, there's sort of guidelines and it was a great piece of work done about sort of uh, 10 years or so ago and we're currently looking to update them. They highlight sort of five different modalities of cancer pain management and it, you know it starts with the basic tenet which is good communication. So we need to know what's going on with us when we're being treated for a problem, don't we? Mm. You know, the and that's where it starts. If you know someone is troubling themselves and worrying about, you know, what does this symptom mean? What's happening? Is this a recurrence? Is this, you know, that's we've got to get that right from the very beginning. Then there's the pharmacological treatments. And traditionally we've always thought about, you know, the opioids. So there's that there's nothing between kind of paracetamol and morphine. Um, yes. And that, you know, those are our only options. And if I start morphine, it's highly addictive. And that's really all we can do. And that's we don't have a gallon of different anti-pain-killing medications, but we do have many more options than just paracetamol and morphine. And it's not addictive. If you use it in the right manner um, for the right problem in the acute setting, then the opioid medications are very good medications. They're not good in the chronic pain settings. They're also not good for nerve pain. So treatment of your neuropathy, for instance, there would be no benefit in starting you now on morphine or oxycontin or endone or those sort of things. But they're very specific anti-nerve pain medications. And again, the they also have a bad rep, but the job of a pain specialist or anyone in pain management is to try the medication. And it's not just sitting on that medication for the foreseeable future. It's constant monitoring, adjusting, rotating, and then considering other options if it's becoming intractable. Then there's the uh, anti-cancer treatments themselves. So for an oncologist, you know, they'll say, well, uh, someone has uncontrolled pain. Do we now need to consider changing chemotherapy or a surgery or radiotherapy, for instance? Um, what pain specialists or a lot of pain specialists get involved in is, is the eye of the C-PAIN, uh, an acronym for uh, cancer pain management, and that's interventional pain management. 
So if there is severe pain and, you know, someone is requiring hospital admission, there are a number of different interventions that can be done and other types of interventions in the cancer survivor, for instance. So persistent pelvic pain, persistent perineal pain around the pelvic floor, that can be treated with different, very simple types of interventions. With the neuropathy, for instance, there's there's a limit of interventions to the sort of more invasive end where there are things like implanted uh, devices. Now, that's sort of one extreme end and it's not commonly used and doesn't need to be used commonly, but it's there are still options available. And as um, we were alluding to earlier, that personalised approach is about offering people options that might suit them at that particular time in their journey. The ensuring your mood is right and ensuring that all the allied health teams are really important. You know, there's a great deal of evidence about psychological interventions in helping manage pain, reducing anxiety, reducing distress, because pain and mood are, you know, intrinsically linked. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, we've got to get every one of those components right and consider, you know, something from each of those different drawers of the pain cupboard to get someone as comfortable as they should be. It feels to me like pain management has really come a long way in the last 10 years. As I said, you know, as a cancer patient myself, the pain and that chronic discomfort was incredibly disheartening at times and it connected to my mood. How do you then look at a situation and make a unique pain management plan for a patient? It's tricky, but it starts with a decent assessment, you know, and an assessment is not just how bad is your pain? Give me a number between zero and 10 out of 10. It is how is this affecting you? What would you like to be able to do? And looking at all these other domains that we alluded to in the in the last question, that um, how is your mood responding to this? Where are you in the journey? What do you want to do? You know, the and and how do you want to be treated? Because we have many conversations with people where our job is really to present options and for them to consider all these different options. You know, the what. I might consider medically is the right thing to do. People may turn around to me and say, look, you know, I've just had enough of you doctors for a while. Just <laughs> in a nice way, leave me alone for a little while. Um, and I don't want to try these medications. I don't want to, you know, that, and that's how it should be. So it's, it starts with the, it starts with the person reporting it. And that's probably one of the most crucial things. The, to make it personalized, it's got not shout from the rooftops, but, you know, tell your treating team what's happening because I've always seen a lot of people in the pain clinic and they're reporting pain scores of, you know, seven out of 10, eight out of 10. Have you told your oncologist? Well, no, because, you know, I don't, I don't want this to affect the treatment and I don't tell. You must say it sort of loud and clear so people can hear and hold your treating team to, I want this better managed. You know, the, it can get lost amongst all these other multitude of things going on. You've got so many things to navigate, don't you, Tim, I think, as a, as a cancer patient. And often it's all very new. We're not doctors. <laughs> and it's all very new and it's about communication. Something that keeps coming up in our podcasts are about empowering yourself, having the knowledge and empowering yourself because it's your journey and you need to be comfortable with the outcomes. Definitely. 
Absolutely right. And the empowering yourself knowledge-wise as well, there are options. And, you know, getting rid of simple misconceptions like palliative medicine, for instance, means, you know, I'm at the very end of, of the journey. Now, that's not the case. Palliative medicine is for anyone with a life-limiting illness. And with this change in, in cancer and the, and the landscape of cancer to many people living very long and, and very fulfilled lives with a condition that is not curable means early engagement with palliative medicine is vital. Tim, can you tell us a little bit more about bowel cancer pain during treatment and survivorship? I guess the, the important thing about pain during treatment is that it is inevitable to a treatment that there will be pain associated like a surgery. But we've got to shift our expectations from saying, well, I've got this severe pain, that's just inevitable. It's just what I have to accept. It really isn't. You know, it's got to be managed. It's got to be managed to make you comfortable as a patient, but also to improve your outcome, as we were sort of alluding to early. So saying it loud and clear as to, as to what you're experiencing is, is really important. The treatments form different types of pains. And, you know, the, um, the response, for instance, to a chemo neuropathy should not be the same as the response to surgery uh, and the sort of normal abdominal pain associated with surgery. So describing what you have and reporting it loud and clear is really important so that you get the best treatment. And again, that takes us back to the best outcome. I know when I was going through my treatment that they wanted you to exercise. Mm. <laughs> you know, if you exercise, your recovery will be better and also your long-term outcomes, uh, it increases those uh, outcomes of it not reoccurring. Yeah. That can be really difficult if you're in pain. What advice do you have for people who are navigating that sort of a situation? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're quite right. The pain and anaesthetics in particular, are very engaged in this sort of topic at the moment. So prehabilitation, as it's called, getting someone as fit as possible before surgery, hasn't really been looked into that much in chemotherapy and radiotherapy yet. But it's absolutely vital to, to get that right so that you enter a, uh, a treatment such as surgery in the best possible condition and that your recovery is as quick as possible. And we've got you know, really fantastic researchers the team at Peter Mack under Prof Riddell and Dr. Jamie Young, who's a pain specialist from a rehab background, are involved in a lot of that work. Really what it means is changing the mindset of the oncologist so that we're prescribing a treatment and immediately triggering a plan of pain management and rehabilitation and prehabilitation. So there's a shift going on into the importance of that. If we first of all recognise it's important, then we tend to manage it better. Um, and for the patients struggling with this problem is not just continuing to struggle, but putting the hand up and say, this isn't working, I'm too uncomfortable. You know, I want this right as soon as possible because it's going to impact my outcome. So it can't be dismissed. It needs to be treated for an outcome point of view. You've touched on that, and I think it's something that in reading some of your material, you're very much about a team environment. We had a wonderful patient who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he said cancer is a team sport. <laughs> yep. How do you work with the whole team? How important is that for you? It's it's completely vital. You know, the um, 
the team at Peter Mac developed a really um, close working relationship with the uh, palliative care department, first of all, with the oncologists of all kinds, surgical, radiotherapy and medical. But then we used to run a pain clinic that was very engaged with physiotherapy, psychology, psychiatry, occupational therapy, exercise physiology. And we used to meet and talk about what we could all do. Each member of that team has something to add to someone's pain management. It might be all very well if I've got something very fancy and invasive and, you know, uh, clever pain management wise. But if someone's mood isn't controlled, it's not going to work. So we pushed for that uh, to occur very early and would do things like take the psychologist on our pain round of someone who's just had surgery or the physiotherapist and us used to go and see people together. So it is any pain specialist anywhere works in a multidisciplinary manner and there's no greater example than cancer pain. Can you tell us a little bit more about then some of the advances in pain management? I think the most important advance is the recognition that it's got to be reported. You know, it, that's really where it starts. And the empowering, as you say, patients to put their hand up and say, this is not okay, I'm not comfortable, is, is the most important thing. And, you know, educating our fellow professionals about the importance of it. The surgeons, for instance, who I've worked with are very interesting people because they're enormously skilled technicians but they're also very engaged in their outcomes and their outcomes if they can snaffle every individual benefit that they can to improve someone's outcome is you know is really important to them so they for instance have really engaged with the role of an acute pain team in a hospital to ensure someone is as comfortable as possible and that starts with the anesthetics in the anesthetic assessment and the anesthetist has a hugely important role um and you know a lot of these what we now call perioperative physicians so who have this very important role in pain management in that period come from an anesthetic background like my old colleagues at um peter mac there are advances sort of going on around the world in terms of the management of the sort of fancier chronic pain uh, fancier pain end so the really sort of invasive treatments for in, in uh, refractory or intractable pain uh, there are implanted devices, for instance, called intrathecal pumps. You can do nerve blocks and implanted sort of spinal cord devices that can treat long-term nerve pain, for instance. And that would come into the cancer survivor. And that's advancing, you know, year on year uh, to be really quite a fascinating modality. But, it's you know, it's not common. It, this is one end of the spectrum. I think the in the interim the biggest advances as we were talking about earlier that change of cancer into a chronic disease and therefore changing away from long-term opiate medication to taking something from each of those drawers so the role of the psychologist psychologist and psychiatrist physiotherapy different types of medications because long-term opioids for instance do cause harm and we're recognizing more and more actually if someone has persistent pain and they've got chronic pain that actually long-term opioids can be quite harmful it affects their endocrine system their immune system you know hormone development all kinds of things and actually can in fact make pain worse the longer you're on these kinds of medications so the 
the advances sort of uh, range across the spectrum from just talking about it all the way down to the sort of really fancy stuff that I do occasionally. Do all bowel cancer patients need a pain specialist? Well, you don't necessarily need a pain specialist. That's It's pretty uncommon to need a pain specialist. If we look at all the people who have cancer, in, let's say in Australia at the moment, it's not necessary. You know, palliative medicine specialists are hugely trained in pain management. Oncologists um, of all kinds do a lot of pain management. GPs have more and more pain management in their training. So it's, it's not uh, usually necessary, but if your pain isn't controlled, let's say doses of medications are increasing, then it's worth starting that conversation with your specialist. Say, do I need to see someone else? Because this is really troubling me. You know, it's, it's troubling me. It's limiting, as you were saying earlier, my activity. I can't get fit to get, to get ready for surgery. All of those sort of options. So it, it just has to be questioned from the outset. We are probably the smallest specialty in Australia. I, I don't know, at last count, there's something like, I believe, 150 pain specialists in Australia. Wow. That and genetic counsellors, I believe. Yes, probably, yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> My sister's a genetic counsellor. Oh, really? There's not many of those either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're in short supply. So the and funding of pain specialists is, you know, is really important. Hospitals are changing. They are seeing the role of this. And a lot of the treating teams are saying, well, actually, we need these people to help us. But, you know, we're way behind where we should be, certainly in countries like the States, where they are, you know, much more part of every cancer group. When you were talking about the psychologist, I think, um, and we want to speak to a psychologist on this podcast because I think it's so very important. I accessed a psychologist back 10 years ago and even then some older people in my life said, why do you need a psychologist? You should be strong enough to cope. And I think breaking down some of those stigmas as well Mm. is vitally important and that involvement and your mood and your mental health is so very important in pain management. Totally. You know, and the... The worst that can possibly happen is an hour-long conversation with a nice person. You know, that's the worst possible outcome of seeing a psychologist. And if it doesn't suit you, it doesn't have to suit everyone. You know, the um, some people don't want to engage. And, you know, that's, that's fair enough. My, I see it as my job to get someone through the door to see the psychologist. So I do try and persuade people a lot that, you know, that it's important. So... I'll say that to It's him. one of the best things I did ever. It helped me immensely and I had so many people comment on going, you are always so positive. How do you cope being so positive? And I think the psychologist really helped me reframe my diagnosis so that I could then pursue my recovery. Totally. Yep. Anxiety and depression go hand in hand with pain. We'll see more and more over the next 20 years that people with more pain have worse outcomes. And why not take every single opportunity we can to limit that and optimise our chances? Is there a difference with pain management specifically for bowel cancer patients versus other cancers? Yes and no. The use of opioid medications in bowel cancer is a tricky tightrope to walk because they're very useful for acute pain, so the acute pain from a bowel surgery but all of them cause constipation and delayed recovery of bowel function. That's where the 
the acute pain teams that you will come across in hospital if you are having surgery have a really important role because they and the anaesthetists will do everything they can to be opioid sparing uh, and reduce that sort of overall morphine amount or other you know other medications like morphine and so consideration of other techniques around the time of surgery such as epidurals is really important and there's a lot of sort of misconception around things like epidurals they are invaluable techniques to provide not only excellent pain relief but also have this knock-on effect of reducing the amount of strong morphine-like medications which in turn slow your return of bowel function it's Otherwise, it's quite a good example of a, of a cancer pain and its treatment because the different modalities of cancer and its treatments are very evident in bowel cancer. So there's chemotherapy and radiotherapy and a multitude of different pain syndromes associated. You know, radiotherapy near the rectum can cause long-term pelvic floor pain that could be treated differently. So there are a few unique parts of it, particularly in the acute setting and in the more sort of chronic setting, it is. It presents to a pain specialist a lot of different options where they can intervene or treat appropriately. Yes, it's you know getting that bowel function back, <laughs> and they <laughs> want you to get that bowel function back yeah. relatively quickly. <laughs> yes, just in terms of sort of specifically about survivorship, up to forty percent of cancer survivors have persistent pain even at five years, and you know we've really got to change the landscape of that, and the reporting that and not just sort of resting on our laurels of well my cancer has been treated i've just got to accept what what comes now i think is we those people which is a huge percentage of the population have mm. got to have improved pain management and again it starts with reporting it loud and clear Yes, yes. Again, communication and empowering and knowledge allows you a better quality of life. Finally, Tim, I like to ask all my guests three quick snapshots that they want listeners to take away from today's podcast. What are your three most important points? Number one and above everything else is report it loud and clear. We can't do anything unless we know about it. Your oncologist, your treating team, people want to know about it. It's not a nuisance. It's not going to affect your treatment and the different options presented to you. It's important to get it right and give you the best possible outcome. There are options to manage pain. You know, you shouldn't have to sort of suffer in silence. There are options available and there are more options than just what a lot of people consider, which is high dose strong medications. Um, that is just one of the things available to us. And it totally depends on you as the person. And we can always present you with options. And there's we have to keep an open mind about those options and take something from every little drawer in the cupboard to get us our best possible pain management. Tim, thank you so much today. I know you're very busy. I think it's really important for our listeners to understand about pain management and understand that there are options available to them. And we really appreciate you being on the Bottom Line podcast today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.